Hello, lovely people. You're listening to the podcast called There's Nothing Wrong With You. I'm Sam, your host, coming to you from the recording studio in my bedroom closet. Modern life is kind of weird sometimes. <laughs> Today, I want to invite you into a conversation with me about reframing and redefining the concept of self-trust and our relationship with that concept. We're also going to talk a little bit about my recent adventures with relearning how to rollerblade or inline skate after a 25, like 30 year break from it. And I promise that what I'm going to talk about is actually relevant to the conversation about reframing the concept of self-trust. Hello, and welcome to There's Nothing Wrong With You the podcast that examines and challenges the assumptions, stories, and beliefs that lead so many of us to ask ourselves the age-old question, what's wrong with me? I'm Sam, your host and a professional coach. I'll teach you how to shed the bullshit behind the belief that you are broken and need to be fixed. Together, we'll move beyond blame and shame, learn to accept our full humanity, and embrace this bizarre, joyful experience of being alive and human. Let's dive in. I see this conversation about reframing self-trust as especially pivotal for those of us who are adults with some sort of neurodivergent condition or neurotype, whatever you want to call it. So that's ADHD or autistic or a combination of those. I happen to be one of them and probably many of my listeners are as well. And I think it's especially pivotal for neurodivergent adults because we've been programmed to use the normative and conventional definitions and framings of self-trust as a weapon against ourselves. I see that weaponization of self-trust with my clients when I coach them, and I also have done it myself, to myself, in my personal life with friends, partners, and family members and all of that. What I really want is for the overall dialogue about self-trust as a concept to change so that the ways that we talk about it and define it and use it in our relationships with ourselves are more constructive than they currently are. I want us to see the concept of self-trust as a way to build ourselves up rather than break ourselves down or berate ourselves. Right now, the normative and conventional use of this concept that I see in conversations is defining self-trust as essentially this belief or, or knowing that you are reliable. You are someone who does what they say they're going to do, whether you say that to yourself or others, that you keep promises that you make, that you keep your commitments, you don't overcommit, you don't break promises. You aren't unreliable and kind of that like you aren't flawed and human, honestly. I also often see self-trust defined as this belief or knowing that you can deal with or handle whatever comes your way in life, whatever that actually means. These kind of definitions and conversations about the concept of self-trust lead us to over-identify with it or rather our failings and our lack of self-trust, it keeps us stuck and keeps us in shutdown mode. I want to invite you to reframe self-trust 
as a concept that is inextricably linked to self-kindness. What I mean by this is defining self-trust as a felt sense or embodied knowing that you'll treat yourself in a kind and supportive way, no matter what happens, regardless of any given outcome. Maybe even especially in situations where things didn't go as you hoped they would, or there was some sort of failure or failing on your part, where things did not turn out perfectly. Of course, I caution turning this definition of self-trust into a perfectionist fantasy, which would mean that if you have self-trust, you believe or know that you'll always treat yourself with perfect kindness and flawless support. What I really mean is trusting your intention that you'll do your best to make an effort to treat yourself kindly and supportively. Redefining self-trust in this way and actually having this sort of felt sense of embodied knowing that you'll treat yourself in a kind and supportive way leads to cultivating a sense of inner safety. That sense of inner safety leads us to have confidence that we can navigate challenging situations and painful situations. I've noticed that it helps me to remain present in the moment, and it helps me to return to the present moment once I've noticed that I'm not present. It's helped me increase my willingness and capacity to take risks in life that could lead to me improving my skills and situation. And it's led me to ask better, more useful questions than what's wrong with me. Now, I know as well as anyone that treating yourself with kindness can be especially challenging in situations where you are experiencing the aftermath of a loss or some kind of a failure. Any sort of situation where you're feeling distress or acute stress of some kind. I know for me, when I'm going through periods of distress, that my harsh internal narrative or inner critic, as some people call it, is fucking loud. It's much louder then than it is at other times. At times like those, it is very hard to kind of shift your state of being or just shift your nervous system state by directly addressing the harsh internal narrative, the kind of narrative that I associate with self-blame and shame and regret and, yes, even grief. The most effective way I've found to disrupt this pattern, this cycle of blame, shame, regret, and so on, is not to address the internal narrative or narrator directly. Instead, it's to focus on taking actions that show kindness and care toward myself. For example, I'm personally a big crier. And if I'm in a situation where I'm in acute stress or distress, and I find that I can't stop crying, then instead of trying to talk to myself about how I shouldn't cry or something like that, I will do my best to drink more water than I otherwise would so that I can stay hydrated because crying can be really dehydrating. I've also found it useful to acknowledge that the original intention of the harsh judgmental inner narrative is at least at its most foundational level based on self-protection. It's intending to shield me from greater harm. Right now, the way it's doing that is misguided. But that voice most likely came into existence in the first place because it actually was helpful at one point in my life. Acknowledging that the intention of that harsh 
inner critic is one of protection. It's a good intention. Often helps me to quiet that voice or get that voice to chill out a little bit, to take the edge off. Not to tell it it's right, but to say, hey, I understand what you're trying to do here and I appreciate your intent. And right now we're going to focus on doing this thing instead of what you are doing. And this thing is behaving towards myself in a kind way, in whatever way is most accessible to me at the time. Recently, as I shared at the very beginning of this episode, I took up rollerblading again after a 25 or 30 year break. I'm 39. And so it is, it's been quite a while since I did it. But I decided to take it up again because I remember it just being incredibly fun as a child. And I wanted to explore that sense of fun more in my life now. It was also a really important step for me to take is in part of my like recovery from chronic pain journey. Because I don't know, a year ago, it would never have occurred to me that I could rollerblade, not just now, but like ever in my life again. So I was excited to explore this type of fun in my life now, just because I want to have more fun, but also to sort of challenge my self-concept and what I'm capable of, what my capacity is at this point. When I looked up inline skating or roller skating for adults to do some research into this, because that's what I do, I not only looked into like finding the kind of skates that would work best for me, but I also saw all this stuff pop up about safety gear, like helmets, elbow pads, knee pads, wrist guards, and was kind of surprised because I don't remember ever wearing safety gear when I was rollerblading as a child, but it was the 80s, 90s, whatever. It's not what we did. We drank Kool-Aid instead of water then. So of course we didn't, we didn't wear safety gear, but I actually got into the idea of wearing safety gear. Not that I would have skated without it once I knew what was available, but I looked into like different brands and I also found some that I thought were really cool that have like a lightning strike on them. And I got this glittery metallic helmet too. That's kind of retro style helmet. There was quite a buildup to me going out my first time on skates. And I did look up some YouTube videos about skating, but not a ton. And I thought to myself, I could just watch YouTube videos with demos about how to inline skate forever, but I know that I'm not going to be able to learn how to do it unless I actually do it. So the first time I went out on my skates, I didn't stay out for long. But I remember the feeling of the first few minutes of being on my skates. I was shocked at how fun it was. It was so fun. And then, out of nowhere with no warning, I fell. I fell backwards onto my ass. Not like a direct hit on my tailbone, but close enough. And I also put my hand out to break my fall, which if any of you are listening who've done skating or any any sort of anything like this, you realize that's, yeah, that's a really great, effective way to break your wrist. Fortunately, I was wearing wrist guards, so I didn't break my wrist, but my arm and my wrist were a little sore for a few days after that. I was pretty freaked out after this fall when I was like sat on the ground in, in shock. I was pretty freaked out because one of the reasons skating was such a big deal for me is that when I was a child, I remember falling when I, when I was in a roller skating rink. I fell 
backwards in almost that same way, pretty hard. And I had pain in my tailbone for like two decades after that. My parents didn't take me to the hospital. I'm not sure anyone realized like quite how much of an impact it was. But in hindsight, I think I probably fractured my tailbone and then developed some chronic pain in that area. I got up shortly after I fell and skated for a few more minutes because I knew that was important for me to get up and kind of recover from that fall and keep going. It would have been quite easy for me at that point to just throw in the towel and stop immediately, go back inside. And there was a chance I would never put on skates again if I didn't get up and try to skate a little bit more, which I'm glad I did. I think that was a good decision for me or had a good outcome at least. The next day I shared with my chronic pain coach, hey, this is a win. Like I actually got out on my my rollerblades and went skating. We had been talking about it for months and I was really excited to share it with her. And I said, it was so fun. Oh, and I fell in this way, felt kind of silly. And despite that, it was really fun. She responded and celebrated this win with me. And she also mentioned, hey, when I was skating, I considered wearing crash pad shorts. So FYI, those are a thing that exist. I was like, what? Padded crash shorts or crash pad shorts? I did not know such a thing existed. Interesting. Shortly after that, I did a bunch of research about them, looked at some forums of people who tried these shorts, and I was sold when I saw someone post on a forum. I didn't make any progress in my skating for two years until I started wearing these shorts because I was too afraid to fall before then. Now when I fall, I know it's safe. I know it's not going to be that painful. And I saw a bunch of other people who'd been skating in these shorts say as well, like, hey, I did fall in these and it could have been like it would have been a lot worse if I hadn't been wearing them. I got up and I kept skating and I was either in no pain or not that much pain. And I didn't have a like a catastrophic break or a fracture or anything. The thing that really sold me was the skill development, like how useful they were for someone to feel safe enough to take risks, the type of risks that you need to take in order to try new things and develop new skills and make progress in skating. I trust that even if I fall backwards into like one of the worst kinds of falls, the most unsafe kind of falls they say that you can have, that I will actually be pretty safe, you know, as safe as any of us really can be. I will be safe and I will not be in that much pain. Anyway, the other day I was out wearing my crash shorts and I was skating and I I haven't fallen since my initial fall that I just told you about. But I was thinking about how it was really important for me to have this sense of safety that it is not only okay for me to fall, it's not only safe for me to fall, but it's important for me to feel that safety so that I can improve. And in skating, there's an assumption that you're going to fall. Learning to fall safely is one of the very first things that you learn. To my understanding, you learn it before you learn how to stop, how to carve, any of those things. No, first you learn how to safely fall because you are going to fall. There's an assumption you're going to fall. That's what happens. And it doesn't even matter what your skill level is. Like experts, professional skaters fall. And I just love that that is one of the most essential skills you can learn about skating and in life. 
It's not specifically learning how to not fall. It is learning how to fall safely. (laughs) So now when I'm skating, I have this sense of self-trust. I'm taking actions for myself and getting these, these tools that I need for my body to feel safe while I'm skating and to not just feel safe, but actually be safer. I've been reminding myself about the pivotal skill in skating of falling safely and how I can use this in the rest of my life. Falling safely itself is a skill. There are different ways to do it. And you can also set yourself up in advance so that you have safety gear and equipment that actually does make it safer for you. You wear it the rest of the time. And that way you can actually make progress. As humans, falling is an inevitable part of life. We can pretend that failing is not an option. Falling is not an option. But if we tell ourselves that failing is not an option and that the goal is to not fail, then not only are we living in a state of denial, but we are putting ourselves in a position where we're not learning how to fail or fall skillfully or safely. And if we know it is dangerous to fail or fall, then we're not going to be that successful or make that much progress in life. I want to invite you for the next few days at least after listening to this episode to ask yourself the question or consider what is the equivalent of crash shorts for yourself in any given situation. What kind and supportive actions could you take or behaviors could you engage in towards yourself the next time you fall, the next time you fail? Think about how you could put that in place now and cultivate that now before you need it. Again, I want to emphasize it's not how can I do this perfectly and flawlessly? How can I avoid pain altogether? That is not what I'm talking about here. Really, the question is, What feels or seems accessible to me right now? What is a way I can behave kindly towards myself that is accessible to me? This is one of the key ways that I believe that we can cultivate and create a greater sense of self-trust within ourselves and a sense of inner safety. We're in a much better position to take risks in life so that we can be more likely to live the kind of lives that we want to live. I think this is probably a pretty good place to wrap up. Thanks for joining me for this conversation around reframing self-trust. I am excited to come back soon with another episode for you. I hope you have a great rest of your day or evening, whatever time you're listening to this, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to There's Nothing Wrong With You. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you know someone who would benefit from listening to this episode, please share it with them. To learn more about me and my work, please visit www.unconventionalmindscoaching.com. And please feel free to get in touch with me to share your thoughts and suggestions at contact at unconventionalmindscoaching.com. Thank you and catch you next time. Mm